lot of people out there, they looking at me like, who are these guys? I look at this guy, he said, who is he? Jay, tell these people who the hell we are. Run, run, for you, fresh, fresh shit. Now, Yo, we want before I go, it's like this, before I go, everybody. Now just throw your hands in the air. And wave them like you just don't care. And if you're ready for run, That's what's oh, up. Yeah. <laughs> that puts me in the mood. <laughs> so you picked that? That's the one you picked? Oh. That's just, a good hype up. <laughs> makes you want to party. <laughs> little 16 year old Malcolm Riddle. <laughs> oh, that brings me back, people. That's right. I just want to let it play. If you guys could see me now. And that's right, we're he here. bobbing his head. I'm shaking it. <laughs> I don't know if that's a bob, Miriam Tazi. So what's happening? Not much, man. I'm just chilling. I'm excited. It's our 100th episode. That is. And people, welcome to another episode of American Riddle. Opened up with a little rock box by Run DMC. And uh, yeah, I had a I had a drawing. A, 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 uh, a lot it? of suggestions. A lot. Mm-hmm. A lot. It's good. So... How did you pull this? How did you pick? I I cut up all of them. (laughs) You did it really like a... (laughs) And and wrote it, yeah. Pull it out of a hat? By myself. (laughs) So I cut all the names up for anyone listening, right? I uh, took all your suggestions that I posted from the post on Facebook, which I asked for someone. Let me turn this down a little bit. Um, When I asked, uh, I needed a song for the 100th episode Mm -hmm. so this morning i got up and uh cut them all out and put my hand in a a bowl and (laughs) and yeah i was gonna save it you know for the studio but you know i don't got time to prepare so it is what it is but yeah good Good pick let's run dmc and i decided (laughs) to go with the uh the live version yeah it sounds live yeah it looks good good, though it's like are you watching something too yeah oh (laughs) it's like a live concert that's from back shit. in the day when they wore leather suits. <laughs> that was definitely a thing. I always <laughs> wanted a leather. was definitely leather suit. I always wanted a leather style. blazer. I wonder if I could pull that <laughs> off now. It's got to be so hot. It cannot be comfortable. There's so much sweat under leather. Leather is like completely constricting. <laughs> yeah, but I wear the I wear the, the black pants and the, and the black blazer like to the last concert we went to with Justin. When I took Justin to the... To the uh, Slick Rick concert. I wore the black blazer. Only thing I was missing was the hat, but I think everybody got it because I had the shell toes. You know, I mean, I, I've always that's always been my style. That is your style. That's all it is. God. <laughs> Watching. Oh, here comes Jay. I love that part. The horn. That's what's up. I gotta let it play, you know. I'm, I'm gonna. Oh man, I can just look at this. I, I gotta turn it off. Sorry, people. I gotta get into the podcast. My head isn't in it today. I'm a little groggy. You know, woke up in a funk, but it's like that. It's, you guys it don't happens. even. They don't even know the, the the commitment I have to make to make to make it here to do a podcast. Our drive traffic nincompoops that can't drive. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm not morons. They cannot drive, and it just it it. Uh, yeah, I, I go insane in the car. 
I mean, it's just one thing after another. But this is a celebration. Miriam Tazi, you were right. It's the 100th episode of American Riddle. So enough about all that negative stuff. There you go. That's right. 100. 100's a, a, that's a serious feat. I can't wrap my brain around that. That's 100. really impressive. Good so for I, you. So I thought, good for everyone. Good for <laughs> us. I mean, it's, it takes, you know, I mean, shit. You didn't know what we were going to talk about today. You had no idea I what's have, going on. I it's have. been almost 100 of them. I mean, you weren't on the, the first probably... You, but you were there in the background, remember? Yeah, it was at the store, the right? Beginning. <laughs> we did mm-hmm. it at the wine shop. Yeah, I stayed open for you guys. Yeah, <laughs> ain't that a bitch? <laughs> it's okay. Mm-hmm. No, I still lock the door, actually. So yeah, it's uh, it's cool. You know, it's not like you know I got anything planned anyway for 100 episodes. We just you know just talk whatever's on the mind. We let it flow. What's on your mind? Well, we got a couple callers, actually. Oh. Yeah, we got Mike J, a.k.a. Fred Stone, a.k.a. Stone, <laughs> a.k.a. Dutch, a.k.a. The Dutchman. Oh. You know what I mean? AKA, That's all one person, correct? A.k.a. <laughs> AKA Blair, you know what I mean? He's got, he goes by many names. You know, yes. he was on a podcast before, straight out of Flint, Michigan. You know, now he's by way of, uh, uh, I believe he's in Muskogee, Oklahoma, I believe. But he's always got a story to tell. Mm. We, we've got him on the blower, so let's, uh, let's see what he's up to. Okay. As our first guest, my first cousin, you know. Aww. That's right. Let's get him on. Mike J yo, in the yo. house. <laughs> yo, yo. <laughs> That's what's up. I got my first cousin, Mike J, aka Stone. You know what I mean? He's like Stone Capone, right out of Flint, <laughs> Michigan. You know what I mean? Sometimes he's got to stand alone. <laughs> Seriously. Hey, I'm just letting you know. And I got married. Years alone. That's right. Years alone, That's right. And I got Miriam Tazi. Can you hear Miriam on the on the, uh, on the phone? Can you hear me? Who's that? Miriam? Yeah, that's me. Who? <laughs> Why does that always happen? Anyway. We'll we'll work it is? we'll work it out. It's Miriam Tazi, so we'll work out the audio uh kinks. Right. Maybe I ain't got something hooked Miriam up right. Yeah, yeah, you know the voice. I call it the voice. <laughs> yeah, she's got she's got lots of fans that call her the voice. I don't know what that she's means. The, yeah. vo- the voice of reason. Oh, man. Mm. Well, the voice of treason. Don't say the word. It's not seducing, but it's, a, it's, a, it's seductive. That's what I'd say, you know. It's mm. really cool, you did. Thank you. Every, every time I hear my cousin's show, you know, I love it. Oh, by the way, you know, congratulations on your 100 shows, man. You know, I dig it. And, you know, best, best wishes to you, you know. Keep on striving. Thanks. But what's up, man? We what's were just we, over there on the East Coast, man. You still get slammed? Yeah, it's a little little chilly out. Quite a bit of ice and snow. I wrecked my truck, drove into a, yeah, a, a ditch and flipped up and almost ran into a tree, but I'm still I'm still here. You can't get rid yeah, of me. That's what's up, man. I die hard. You know, I'm down here. I'm down here in Oklahoma and they think it's cold, you know, it's like it's like thirty five and sunshine, man, you know. <laughs> I'm rocking, you know, I got a sweat, you know, hoodie sweatshirt, my Michigan sweatshirt on, you know. I'm rocking, got my shades on. It's all good to me, baby. They're like, you're not cold. Nah, man, I got a little afro on, too, so I don't need a hat. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Mike J., we opened the show up with a live cut of, uh, of Run DMC Rockbox. It was actually a live clip of a concert. Brings us back, brings me back of thinking about when we first saw Run DMC. I think it was in Saginaw, Michigan. It's the first you time went together? I I think so. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. did. We, I think that was the yeah, Raising Hell. First time we saw him, I think live was at the Raising Hell concert. I believe it was. Yeah. So it was yeah, a yeah, yeah, that's with the Beastie Boys. Oh, nice. 
Oh, yeah. They had a yeah. All these things, like, like yeah, it was, everybody. Yeah, it was, it was the whole, the whole crew, you know, a whole Def Jam crew was yeah. there. I mean, it was, yeah, it was off the hook. You remember that, Fred? That's what's up, yeah, and then I remember one, you know, I remember all the concerts, man. I remember the one concert, you remember the one time we saw Flavor Flav, man, Flav was eating a big piece of watermelon. You know, we used to always click together, I always say hip-hop is my genre. And hip-hop in America helped bridge the gap between white kings and black kings because, man, it was the beat, man, it was the rhythm. And not only that, it was what they were saying, you know, it was progressive music, man, and people could just relate to it. You know, nevertheless, I haven't said as much, you know, I think it was, uh, it was the Fresh Fest. It was the Fresh Fest, I think it was 86, 86, I think I was 15, 16, and I remember Peach was riding, Peach was driving. I don't know if you see Fresh Earl Cameron was with us, but she might have been, but you know, we always used to go to the concerts early so we could get good seats, because you know, people well, not even seats, you could run to the front of the, uh, auditorium or, 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 or the, uh, the venue and grab on, you know, you get behind the girl, <laughs> and you grab onto the rail, so the crowd wouldn't push you in, you know, you, you, you get your grind on there, you know, the concert, you did. But, uh, yeah, man, we went, man, Blaze was out there, man, and he came out there, he was like, y'all want to come back to stage? And we like, man, or yes, you know, who the hell is this? Come out here with the white people. Uh, I mean, all white snows and glass and a big cock on his neck. Eating a piece of watermelon, you know, it was really difficult at the time. I think me and Malcolm laughed at it. And then, you know, Next thing you know, here come public enemy on stage. You know what I'm saying? They just lie. He pointed us like, yeah, boy. We were like, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. But the real thing I remember of that concert was, uh, <laughs> I remember, you know, uh, 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 LL Cool J, right, putting that Lisa Mollison, and she's just breaking down crying, you know, I need love. Yeah. Rock Kid was so cool, right? Rock Kid, man, he just came out, right? We're like, who is this dude? He come out with a milk crate, right? And sit it on the stage. He sits it on the stage. He sits it on the stage. And, uh, and he, he just starts laughing. <laughs> you know, and, and we start listening to the music, man. He's like, man, he starts laughing about man. It's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you. He ain't even on, you know, we can't get in the crowd. But the crowd's off the chain. And he's sitting on the milk box just rocking. <laughs> Unbelievable, man. I mean, it was just, you know, it was just. You know, Houdini was there to kick, you know, and Master D up in the air, and he was scratching. It was just live, man. Yeah, he remembers a lot. Yeah, sounds like a good time. I had a kick in limousine, and I was kicked. That was a good time. You know, memos were like they were. You know, you had two seats, you know, facing the back and two seats facing the front. There wasn't no side seats. There wasn't no extra stress in the morning. And I wanted to go to, so, I, you know, I think it was me, Malcolm Spin, Amato, and uh, uh, Lee, Poppy, and I had a seat Poppy, in the front yeah. of the limo next to the limo driver. They was back in the back, popping bottles. <laughs> yeah, no, that was yeah, that man. was that was live. That was live. The uh, yeah, Rakim Rakim Allah came out, and he was. I told we talked about this. I think last podcast or so. I know I talk a lot about Rakim on the on the show, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean everyone else, Miriam, it was uh was sweating. Cool J took his shirt off, he had the little little beady uh hair on his chest. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And he had the gold chain on and it was all glistening. You know what I mean? They were all glistening. Yeah. No, he had he had the troop, the red troop suit on. Yeah, he had the, he had troops. Hold on now. Everybody was watching troop until they said it was made by the KKK. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, uh, Cool J, who's sweating. Everyone was sweating. Flavor Flav, all of them was shiny. You know what I mean? All of them was shiny. Looked like someone yeah, just dipped yeah, them in Vaseline. Yeah, yeah. it's wild. It was just like, you got to think about how many people were there. Like, what was it? What were it? Saginaw, the winner of yeah. I mean, it was, it was man, that thing probably held at least over two, 3,000 people. Easy. Easy. Because yeah. if, you, if you let go of that rail, Man, the crowd was swinging. You'd be in the front, front and wind up in the back somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> that's, well, that's that's what happened out in uh, in L.A. in the could have been the late '80s when they had that riot at the concert when they tried to deem rap as like you know hazardous. Oh yeah, you know, and it, it yeah. was the same thing. It just you, when you were it was so new and so much energy. Like you would get there. We got there super early so we could be in the front. But it's like it's like like Jay just said. If you uh, he's got a lot of names. If if you let go of that rail before you know it, you're a quarter away back. Yeah. You're in the middle. You're getting shaken up. You're stomped on. Anything could happen. I mean, it was just you lose your shoe. Yeah, <laughs> I lost glasses. You know what I'm saying? Everything. But, I mean, but like I said, man, hip hop, man, it was in this. You know, it's pure form, and, and, and you know, I wish it would really, uh, really come back. You know, and I think, I think uh, a conservative effort is making it, you know, come back. I mean, I see it, you know, man, and I'm not being that, you know, I even love, you know, Boosie, Badass, etc. You know, I could dig that music, but man, it's, it's like the same thing. It's nothing fresh, man. I mean, it's only, it's, it's only so many times you can bang so many chicks, so many times you gonna tell me you gonna piss on me and take my money, and I'm supposed to buy your record. Man, it be for real. And the bad part of it is, you know. The urban culture is eating us up, and they're like, really, it's real. Well, well, for the most part, it's the suburban kids that are buying their album. But uh, the kids are getting it off the internet, you know? And it's, you know, they're not selling that. And they're not even going to the concerts, you know? It's not even like a concert anymore. Yeah. We went to a little Wayne concert up in, uh, in Detroit at the Palace. And it was like, man, I mean, I was like, okay. You know, my career was Nicki Minaj. <laughs> but, you know, as far as the rapper, James, you don't take money. Like, I piss on you. Come on, man. Yeah, I, I ain't yeah, heard you're that. Here. You about you about five foot three, man. Yeah, Come I ain't behind them bullets and find out what's going on in these streets and quit, baby. Yeah, I ain't heard I'm that. Gangster, but you know, and they like that. Yeah, I ain't heard that one. But, you know, I'm not that plugged in when it comes to a lot of the quote-unquote mainstream rap artists and what they say in the country. Because I know they're just basically trying to sell sell rap, uh, albums and merch, you know, when they when they do it. something or say something controversial. It ain't, it ain't as uh, free-flowing yeah. as I, I believe as it once were, was and as true to the roots. But, you know, it, they're talking to a different audience. Uh, that's well, you know what? that much is for sure. Now, I mean, you got to look at the audience, you know what I'm saying? It's selling black best, you know what I mean? I was, you know, sitting uh, at the University of Michigan, and I can't remember this guy. He's from Oakland, California, man. And he came in, and he gave one of the most brilliant presentations on how the mainstream music changed, how, how hip-hop changed. Don't you remember when it changed? It changed. You know, Tupac came in, right? When the Tupac name was all about, friend has got a baby, you know, keep your head up. You know, all he wanted to be is a soldier, about revolutionary. Then he went from napkin, and that's how he made us, man. Man, man he's talking about thugging. He got tattoos, you know, with, with ta- when, when Pop took his shirt off and started tattooing, or showed his tattoos. Then that's when everybody started getting tattooed up. You know, I'm wondering if it's like, uh, you know, some kind of witchcraft uh, 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 to that. You know, because these guys walk up like a flame, all these other guys, you know, they got tattoos on their faces. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's really out of control, man. It's not... 
it's not educating man. Hip hop was educational. You know, it sounded an alarm. Yeah. You know what it is. You know, they talk about if uh, 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 could talk about uh, Uncle Uncle Luke down in Miami, or you can talk about uh, 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 NWA. They weren't broadcast news because in, in Los Angeles they weren't being beat up. You weren't being beat up. You know, crap was an epidemic. The police was against you. It was clear. It was a clear line. It's made you trying to tear down what we built up. And as a young black man, you know, who's getting money like that, I didn't see it like that. I'm sorry, as, you know, an entrepreneurial shit, I can make money. Yeah. They quit money. Why are they trying to, you know, push this on me? So we ended up racing at the police, and then you hear uh, 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 two live crew say, hey, we want some. Hey, you know, we like, what did he just say? Yeah, they did itself. What did he say? Yeah, no, no, it's a, uh, it's a, it's definitely, it's definitely an evolution, uh, you know, in progress. But yeah, I agree with you. There, there was a time where the momentum was building in rap music and in the culture of hip hop where, yeah, you had the likes of NWA and you had the likes of, uh, of the two live crew and Luke Skywalker. Uh, but, at some point, yeah, when well before Tupac, the industry decided, just like today in the movie industry, they decided to grab onto something because it's making money and just stay there where it stunts creativity. Therefore, you're stuck with the quote-unquote gangster era and the player and pimp mentality, which I think stunts the growth of the youth and the people that listen to it to some greater or lesser degree. Like what happened in the seventies with black exploitation, only you know they kind of got away from it real quick. But then it come, like you said, they hit and hit you again. You know when it come right back. But uh, you got to grow. It's like uh, you got to grow. Man, you got to you got to know when hip hop has transcended so many eras. You know, I mean, I'm a minister. You know, and I'm not afraid to you know say that I'm you know a man of God. But even in my sermons when I'm preaching, I do some of the some of the metaphors from hip hop. You know. One time I was preaching, uh, I was preaching a message about you don't have to be alone. And I was saying how, you know, you get, you know, just on the spiritual level, how being alone, you can be attacked by your own mind yeah. or, or outside entity. So I just won't get into that right now. But I used to, you know, by the ghetto boys, I sit alone in my room staring at candles. And I really did, man. I said, you know, staring at candles. And, you know, uh, now that, you know, I told them about turn, turn up, you know, they, you know, I told them about turn up. I'm turn up for what? Why am I turning up? Because I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to break the knob, you know? Mm-hmm. There ain't no sense to me doing that. But for other people, it's okay. You know, I'm not, I'm not fixing that at all. Don't get me wrong, but it's just like, you know, you got to be real careful out here, man. What you're telling people. Yeah, no, you know, it's... I always tell a story. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's a, you're right. You you're right. No, it's okay. You're, it's, it's a... Uh... Listen, and I, and I, see, I see you take this down. I see you take Jay Barrett man, to the concert, man. And I see the excitement in his eyes because you know what? That is real hip-hop, you know, I think when you first show, you know, Malcolm came down to Virginia, man, they were coming out to live with us, man, this is like 1986, 85, 85, as a matter of fact, and Malcolm had this big boom box, you know, Malcolm was always fresh, he always had a beat, so he never going to catch you slipping, you know, he had two black screaming shoes back then, no shoes screaming in them, but yeah, <laughs> man, he come up, man, he playing this thing called the show, and everybody, I'm like, whoa! Man, you know, I never heard that. So he becomes the friend. Of course, you know, we're saying, like, oh, you know, uh, 
probably middle, middle class neighborhood. It's pretty clean. And he comes down and got some, you know, some white friends that I grew up, you know, very close to me down the street. He's shrapping, as a matter of fact. And Malcolm plays his music on the street. And here comes D, who I'm thinking, she knows she likes ACDC and everything like that. But she hears it, and she has never heard it before. And here she comes with her girl, they just get the bob in their head like the Charlie Brown kids. That's how much it comes. And the music affected us. Yeah. It was clean, it was pure, it was energy, you know, it was fun. You know, Malcolm, because Malcolm wasn't a dancer, per se. He wasn't going to the dance there. She just go up in front of the DJ, him and Earl. I couldn't figure it out. I like dancing with the kids. <laughs> you know, they going up there, listen, they got back to turntables. They listening to the music. You know what I mean? Let's see what the DJ is going to play, you know? Yeah. It was just a whole different thing. And if it was dancing, we go in the bathroom, you know, chicken bone. Yeah. Remember that now? Yeah, I remember. Shout out to all the rappers in Fred Mitchell, you know what I'm saying? The Davis family, took rest in peace, three, you know, Mama Soul, my man Aslan Mahdi, you know, so many other people. Jake Deflate, my man down in Texas doing his thing big, you know, uh, uh, top authority, you know, flex, you know, nice street hood boys, everything like that, soft side, you know how we ride. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> man, it's just, you know, fantastic era. And I, and I you know, it's, it's, it's a shame because, man, with, 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 with People are listening to garbage. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's going to insane. So, Mike J, it's an evolution. It's another name. I'm sorry, it's a, it's a, it's an evolution. And yeah, like well, you said, like it, man, well, 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 I, well, I wouldn't call that evolving. I would call that uh, what's the word when you go backward degenerative. Yeah, well, maybe. I mean, it just, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's like you know, I, they used to be talking about. You know, Queen Latifah came up talking about women and princes. You know, you know, my queen, my this and that. Now, you know, everybody, you know, you B-I-C-C-H-U-H-O-E, you know, come on, man. Hey, Mike. Come on, man. Mike, no. Mike, Mike, hold on, hold on. Before we get off way, way, way off to the left side or right side or any side, it is an evolution. Wow. And it's, it's it's no different than like when I when I tell my son, you know, there's certain artists out there that speak in his language. Um, just because right. I, I don't understand it doesn't mean it's not any good. There's good stuff out right. there, and there's good MCs out there. You just, you know, it's... I feel that, you know, J. Cole, you know, I feel that Cole. Yeah, it's just a generational gap, and it's, I think it's going, in a, it's going in the right place. You just got to know where to look. The stuff that they're playing on the radio or they might be on TV might not be the stuff for you or me or the next person, but if you, right. uh, if you, if you, if you hang out and you're in those... Uh, those bathrooms, or you're in the streets, or you're in uh, the the Howard Theater, you're going to come across some. Well, not only that, you have MCs. so many many more tools to be able to look back oh, and yeah. look at the music that you have. You know, even stuff that you suggest, you can still like check YouTube. You can check, you know, you can do the research to find stuff that's not mainstream. It's just there at your fingertips. Yeah, and it's like Mike said. Also, it's like Mike said. Also, about uh, you got to be careful what you're putting out there. It's just like this podcast. You know what I mean. We have evolved into 100 episodes where, you know, I'd say a good part of it might be trash talk and having fun, but we still uh, we still try to keep evolving the information mm-hmm. and getting people on here that whether they're, you know, from places like Flint, Michigan, or whether they're celebrities or whomever, we just educate them. We, we just have fun and, We're and mix it up. We're learning, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, You know yeah. what I mean? You know, and uh, uh, like Mike was saying earlier, you know, when we were out there and we would play the music, people would just stop what they're doing. You know what I mean? They would just stop and listen and just bob their head or start dancing. I mean, everyone from, you know, hustlers to 
you know, like I said, players and pimps and gangsters, like real thugs, to, you know, just the neighborhood kids. We would just all come together and just vibe it out. People don't play music out like no, in the streets anymore. No, no, Everyone's no. got their own earphones, their no. earbuds, whatever, and they're Even, just walking there in their own world. Yeah. They don't share it with, you yeah. know, the outside world. Even, even the hood, yeah. Even the, uh, the 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 street ninjas, the kung fu, the <laughs> my kung, favorite. Yeah, yeah. The, the kung fu cats was involved with it. Remember them? Them dudes are just dressed up in uh, Chinese, <laughs> Chinese outfits. You know what I'm saying? You know, Jerry curls the Chinese. <laughs> that was that was just the era, man. It was just a fun time growing up in America, and. Uh, you know, it's time to grab the bull by the horns. You know, we are that generation. Now mm-hmm. we're older and more mature. And it's up to us, man, to, to you know, carry the torch, man, to the next generation. Just like you educated Jake Dan. And Miriam, I don't know if you have any children, but you know, it's important that you show up the roots and the essence of it. The ones they see the essence of it, this is when it comes back around. Well, speaking it comes back around. Nature has a way of, of what, what nature does is it, uh, if things get out of hand, Nature will eventually take over. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to destroy it. It'll, it'll, it'll take over. You know, and that's what's, and I think that's what's going to happen with hip hop. And another last point I want to make is this very new and point where, where, you know, there aren't, they're not boomboxes out there anymore. Everybody does. You, you know, you do have your phone, uh, your iPhone, you know, your iPad, or mm-hmm. whatever they call it, you know, walking down the street. It, it's because we've become so compartmentalized. Yep, and individualistic. And everything is. We want everything now. Yeah. It's just relaxing, man. That's what the point of music, the music was, man. It was chill music. And sharing the you know, experience. You can back and just be like, oh. Yeah. Sad. Yeah, man. And speaking of roots, man, we got, uh, we're getting ready. We got we to gotta let you go because we got Randall Cooper uh, that's going to be, we're going to be talking to him in a, oh. in, a, in a quick second. You mean, you mean, you mean, you mean, you mean Grandmaster Cook? Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> my double first cousin. Yeah, yeah. No, they're I, real. They're real. He, he, he got a whole different scene. It's a whole different scene in Detroit coming up. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. I'm sure he'll tell you about it. Hey, man, don't you remember that show they used to show? in uh, uh, Flint. What was it called? I can't remember. Action, though. And, man, you remember the music? You remember Tiffany Cook. Cook. Tiffany Cook. <laughs> there was a whole techno beat going on back there. Remember that album? Yeah, yeah, no, I remember that. I remember My that. My cosmic cause. Man, come on, man. But look, man, it's great, man. Talking to you, man. Congratulations on the 100th episode. Man, Todd, keep it classy as always. The voice, you know. Big up to, like I said, everybody in Flint, Michigan, man. Keep the struggle, man. In Detroit, man. We're going to bounce back, man. In the rest of America, whoever's tuning in, man, it's not a white or a black thing, man. It's a human race thing. With that, I'm out. Peace. It's Mike J. That was the shit. That was Mike J. Here's the song he's talking about. (laughs) That's the song he was talking about. Such an aggressive beat, too. Oh! (laughs) We used to jam to this. Straight up. Dude, if somebody comes up with a boombox listening to this in the street now, people will be like, no. the fuck is going on? People would stop and, and dance right there on the street. Do you spot. think people would still do that today in New York in the subway station? Sure. But here? No, in the streets. Here? 
It's not gonna happen. People no, would be like, what is wrong with this person? Turn that shit down. No, no, no. They would, they would stop what they were doing. If your car rolled I up and you so. were playing it, <laughs> motherfuckers would just start doing the wop. Straight up. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This is this was the jam. And you, when you played this at the school at the dances, everyone got excited. <laughs> They was they was twerking before it was called twerking, man. It was just it smelled like hot dog water up in that camp. Straight up, man. Wow. Just butt cheek fever. It was <laughs> insane. This song right here. Cable TV. You gotta listen. You gotta know this stuff. Oh, I'm not making this stuff up, people. So when I talk to you guys about Rakim Allah being the greatest MC, or I talk about, you know what I mean, the street ninjas, the stuff. That's the shit. That's my favorite. The stuff's for it. No, we're, let's let's get, let's get here. Let me just turn this down for a minute. That's what's up, people. Let me uh, let's get uh, Randall Cooper on the phone. Let's talk to him a bit. Maybe he can shed some light. On the martial arts that go on in the inner, inner city. Let's see what's up. Fred's not like he's talking in a damn tin can. Yeah, it sounded like there was damn. definitely some... I don't even know how I'm going to clean that up. Something's going on. I, I, I wish they would just Skype in. That doesn't always sound that great. Hello. Randall. Yes, sir. What's up, man? This is your boy. You know, it's I'm, I'm introducing myself like he can't see my name on the phone. <laughs> Everyone has caller ID now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For a minute, I thought I was still back in the '80s because we, we before we called, we were talking about the '80s with uh, our first cousin uh, Fred. So he was on the phone earlier, and uh, we just finished talking to him. Now we got you on the hundredth episode of American Riddle. Oh, I'm honored. That's what's up, my man. And I'm I'm here with my co-host, Miriam Tazi. Hello. Hey, how you doing, Mary? I'm good. His voice changed all of a sudden when he started talking to me. Oh, hi. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking to you. <laughs> you got you to watch Randall. Yeah, silly. You got to watch Randall. He's a cake daddy. Oh. Oh, man. That's your brother. <laughs> <laughs> what, I don't even think Miriam knows what a what, cake daddy is. Maybe what you is could- a cake daddy? That sounds dirty. Cake daddy. Oh my god. You don't know what a cake daddy is? No, I don't. I want to learn what cake is daddy. a cake daddy. The cake daddy is the one who buys the flowers, the candy, opens up the door, you know what I'm saying? It proposes on the first day. That's cake daddy. Oh <laughs> I don't like cake, cake daddy. Cake daddy is the one who takes you on them uh them them, them shopping sprees mm. on the second day. That's cake daddy. Oh. Spreading the frosting. Yeah, I have I've met a few of those people. I stay yeah, far, far away. People trying to buy you. Mm. That's what's up. So yeah, we had we had Mike J, aka Stone, aka Fred, Fred Jefferson, Fred Riddle. He has so many aliases, but you know that's how that's how we roll up in Flint, Michigan. I can't keep up. Yeah, and we were talking, Randall. We were talking about. I guess I've talked about this on a podcast many a time, but Miriam just laughs at me when I talk about martial arts, which I call I call them hood ninjas, street ninjas. I call them many things, but the martial arts was a big part. Of the inner city, true or false? True, because we can relate to it. Yeah. We can relate to the underdog. We can relate to being oppressed. We can relate to, you know, getting ourselves together, training. You know what I'm saying? Taking on the man. Yeah. 
No, I don't, let's get this straight. I don't laugh at it. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> okay? I love it. I, I think, think it's I, great. I, th- I think yes. And to, to Miriam's credit, <laughs> I think she she laughs because I, I used to tell her how the, the the guys, at least in my hood in Flint, would dress up in the well, the, then the, hang out the in boy stances while oh, yeah. they're dressed in ninja's yeah, yeah. gear. I think that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. well, you kidding me? You know your karate suits, the white t shirt, <laughs> right. you know kung fu uh, the kung fu shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Are you kidding me? We wore those like we were wearing three pieces going to a business meeting. <laughs> we were dead serious about it. It's so awesome. Yeah, it was it was the real deal. That's I mean it so was great. it was it was it was it wasn't rare for me to see someone in a Chinese I don't even know what to call them, like a Chinese jumpsuit and then have a pair of nunchucks or a three section staff, you know what I mean, tucked away somewhere in the bushes. It oh, was, a pair of nunchucks too? Come yeah. on now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They were always making our homemade nunchucks. Oh yeah, wow. yeah. Those I made. We used to make homemade throwing stars. Oh Lord, out of what? We would take paper and glue <laughs> and uh, needles. Oh God. Yep, and we would we would throw we'd make what was called a tiki dart, which were blow darts, mm-hmm. and we'd put cotton and glue on the end of a needle and then blow it through a straw. Wow. And we'd have tiki dart fights. It was the worst. <laughs> it was dangerous. the worst. Yeah, yeah. I have another cousin. <laughs> Remember the rock fights? <laughs> How long did those last? The, the which ones? Rock fights. Oh, rock! Yeah, we had, we had we had, well. I think I Wait, do rem- straight up rocks. Rock throwing. Yeah, because there was no dirt bombs, but there were plenty of rocks, so we'd have rock fights. Yeah, you know. We always want to, you know, live off the action movie, so our crazy selves, we have to throw rocks to each other. And you know how long that lasted? Not too long. It was fun for a second. <laughs> but you'll be amazed how accurate you can be with a rock. Yeah. yeah. How yeah. big were these rocks? Man, you know I mean, big. Oh, you know, no, man, for, you know, just a rock. You know, not, not, not a boulder. Not but, a pebble, you know, a rock. Yeah. Quarter size or bigger in diameter. Oh. But we took it to the next level. Weren't you with us one time in Flint, Randall? When we, we had, played Vietnam. Yeah, yeah we had, you played Vietnam. <laughs> and yeah. we, that was well, a game. Was in, that was back in this industrial area. We talked about we are on train tracks. We are oh, over bridges, train track bridges. They ain't got no railings. Oh. You know, we out there doing the real thing. Yo, there was this. They were coming after me. I'm running, right? I'm running, and there's just like industrial area. So I'm running back behind these uh, behind these um, fences, right? So they ain't gonna catch me. They ain't gonna catch me. What do I run into? Oh, about two or three guard dogs, German shepherds. I was like, oh, so I'm going to don't shoot, don't shoot. This is actually what I'm saying. What I mean is don't throw rocks at me. You know, come these dogs chasing me. Oh, no. Straight up. You got to be ready. Apparently. I mean, even when you're playing Vietnam. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I think we played with BB guns before, too. It kind of sounds yeah. like laser tag and shit today. Yeah, dangerous times, I you like know. Paintballing. Dangerous times. We, but we had fun though. No one, no one got, got, you know. No one lost an eye. No, no one lost That's an good. eye. No, lost an eye. <laughs> no, no, no one lost an eye. But Randall, yeah, you, uh, I think you took it to the next level because, of course, Randall, my first cousin, and uh, he now lives and resides someplace in Atlanta. I can't disclose the location because mm. I'd be like giving up the Bat Cave. Mm. You know what I mean? But I can tell you the general area. Uh, but you, you've studied martial arts on the real, haven't you? I have. I study under direct lineage of Mister Lee. Is that right? Yeah, my, one of my idols, Bruce Lee, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's. Uh, I, I was doing some research earlier because uh, you'd sent me a message about uh, about the gentleman. Is it Baba? 
Babataji Nanji. You mind yeah. if I uh, can call him up? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't mind because I mean I I just looked. He has the title of Grand Master. Maybe you can before yeah, you do he's that. Master of his own system now. Yeah. What what is exactly is a Grand Master in the martial arts world? Grand Master is the person who is the top ranked person in a system. So let's go. Everybody knows who Ip Man was. Ip Man was a Grand Master of his system. Ip Man was. So uh, let's say. Let's say, did you ever see? Uh, did you ever see the movie Red Belt? Oh yeah, yeah, it's a good movie with, with okay. Chuatel Ejiofor. Yes, the master. You can consider him the grandmaster of that system. So at the end of the movie, what did Danny Lofano do? Himself, the grandmaster, presented the red belt to my man. He is now the grandmaster. He is the top in the system. Yeah, and for people listening, tuning in, they may not know who Ip Man or uh, Asanto, uh, I believe he's Guru, is his title. It could, guru, Dan and Asanto, yeah. yes. Give give us a breakdown of who they are, um, starting with, uh, I guess you. I, my pronunciation may be wrong, but Ip Man. Ip Man, Ip Man. You know what, hold on, let me see if I get this cat on the phone, because he's got the history down pat. All right. I got it from him. All right. So just a second. Yeah. Is he going to do like a three-way call? That's a first. <laughs> Conference call? Yeah, how's this work? What's he got, like a three-way? A dock where you like lock it in, put the phone on? His, his reception is better than Fred's. Fred's not like you talking about a tin can. <laughs> I mean, what's he working with? I don't know. It could have been a cell phone. It just sounded like there was feedback or something else going on in the background. Unless he had it on speaker. Maybe. I mean, it sounded like he was actually talking <laughs> in a tin can with a string on it. Hello, is everyone there? Yeah, yeah, we're here. All right. Malcolm and... Miriam. The co-host. Miriam, may I present to you my teacher, Baba Kaji... No, Grandmaster Baba Kaji Nanji. Hello. Baba, you there? Yes, I'm here. Wow. Wow! Yeah, this is this is impressive because I if I've well I've known Randall all my life, but the the fact that we've talked martial arts, we've joked around with it. Uh, uh, I followed Randall um, for many a moons since you know I live in uh, right outside of Washington D.C. and Randall's. Of course, you guys are up in Atlanta, but uh, just the whole. Uh, uh, you know, concept or the whole styles of fighting that we see, everything from Hollywood to real life, has always fascinated me. I've never really, you know, got involved with it myself, but you know, as a as a uh, observer of this world, I've always uh, admired it and respected it. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do uh, in the martial arts world community? Sure. Um, well. Uh, I started in martial arts uh, back in January of 1968. Uh, of course, uh, benefit of having witnessed Bruce Lee as Cato on the Green Hornet. And uh, that's when I got the bug. And uh, I've been uh, trying to figure out this thing all ever since then. So, for 30 years, I've uh, had the opportunity to explore different martial arts systems and styles and train with some of the uh, elite of the martial arts world. And um, was able to at least pay enough attention to rise up in the ranks and achieve the status of what they call Grand Master now. So. 
Yeah, Rand- uh, Randall was... Not to impress anybody, but just to impress upon people that you know, it's all about stages of growth and when you're consistent, and um, it's all about consistency at the time that you, know, you develop the ability to achieve your goals. Yeah, Randall was talking to us about the title Grandmaster, and we were going through, before he called, we were going through the history uh, and you mentioned uh, you mentioned Cato and the Green Hornet, and I asked Randall for the for the people that listen to this show uh, may not know who Ip Man or uh, I'm sure they know Bruce Lee, but can you give us a, a breakdown of the history and some of the people that influenced you, but also you you had an opportunity to train with? Uh, yeah, well, like I said, uh, I started out primarily at the age of seven, and um, my father was a boxer. Uh, he also boxed in, in the Army, and uh, he had dreams of uh, making me a Golden Gloves champion, so I actually started out in boxing. Uh, like I said, over time, um, watching TV and stumbling upon the Green Hornet television series and witnessing a young unknown named Bruce Lee playing the role as the Britt Reed, the publisher, and the crime fighter, Alter Ego Green Hornet, uh, as his bodyguard and chauffeur. And I witnessed him doing something that was totally unbelievable to me. He was kicking and punching and beating his opponents. And I was just learning how to punch with my hands. And I had a debate with my father. So I said, I don't want to box anymore. I want to do that. This guy gets to kick and punch. And, of course, he went back and forth. And he said, no, you know, you're going to box. And so we came to a compromise. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll find a, a karate school for you. You can go to. But you still got to box three days a week. So that was my genesis into martial arts. And, um, we found a community center, and uh, actually my whole family joined that night. But I was the only one that actually stepped out to black belt. And uh, I started with a gentleman by the name of Sensei Richard Burrell Jr. He's now um, an ancestor. He has passed on. And uh, he trained me in an art called Ishinu Karate, though, which is uh, an Okinawa system of karate. And it was founded by a man by the name of Tatsuya Shimogoku in 1959. And he passed in 1975. From there, I branched into uh, other karate systems. I was trained by um, Grandmaster James Wayne out of Newark, New Jersey, in Goshishan Karate, and also Jaffa Jiu-Jitsu, which is his personal Jiu-Jitsu system. also trained with uh, Sensei Antonio Encheveria in Gojuri Karate, and uh, he trained me simultaneously along with uh, Sensei Uchikura Jr. Uh, from there, I also delved into other systems to train with the... Uh, the legendary Dr. Moses Powell in San Francisco Jiu-Jitsu, Guru Daniel Santo in Tikundo, Bruce Lee's Art, and also in the Philippine Martial Arts and Mafalendo Silat. Also had an opportunity to train with uh, one of his teachers, Kumonguro um, uh, Edgar Sulite in the Lameco Screamer. Uh, on top of that, I trained with uh, one of his Silat teachers, um, who has now passed on. Um, Mahaguru, or what we call Pindika, uh, we call him Guru Besar, uh, Herman Sawanda. He was a, a talented martial artist from Indonesia. Um, and there I also had opportunity to train in Muay Thai with uh, over there Muay Thai teachers. His name is Shur Chai Sodashi, but we call him Master Chai, or John Chai. And uh, I trained in Northern Shaolin Mantis, which some people recognize as Seven Star Prayer Mantis under Sifu. Sharia in Ahura, 
Uh, we also trained in uh, combat submission wrestling in the Sensei Eric Paulson in California. And it just goes on and on and on. Roughly, I've had about, no, C.J. Steve Muhammad in uh, BKF Kimpo, or his his expression of Kimbo, he learned it from Ed Parker. And like I said, the list goes on and on and on. I've had at least uh, 15 different instructors and in different um, systems of martial arts. And I definitely can't leave out the African martial arts. You know, I was trained by uh, the legendary also from Dishi Tayai Cassell, you know, Kupinana and Gumi, and his particular system called the Yoko Matigano ground fighting. It's a snake fighting system that represents the attributes of the five major African snakes. So it's a ground fighting system at best, but it's very complete. And he also is a um, kung fu practitioner who actually was a legend because he was one of the few, if only, Kung Fu artist who was actually competing in tournaments and fighting even in full contact bare knuckle tournaments back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell him about Wild yeah. Motorsports. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. He actually, in my opinion, is the godfather of MMA. Everybody thinks that MMA, the first MMA match started with the Gracies in the UFC. No, it was actually in 1974 at Madison Square Garden. Uh, the, prote- the protege and uh, top student of the legendary Dr. Moses Powell, his name is Soke Little John Davis, had a match with Tyler Cassell in Madison Square Garden, which was aired in Wild World Sports. And it was seen by over 19,000 people in attendance, but it was also seen by over 20 million people worldwide. And that is the first true mixed martial arts match that ever took place in America. Hmm. And New York is the birthplace of that. And my teacher also, Tayyad Cassell, was one of the pioneers of that fight, along with uh, Sophie and John Davis. And who are still good friends to this day, and who are still very formidable martial artists in their own right. Yeah, the uh, I was going to ask the question about what your thoughts are on the mixed martial arts and um, you know the whole media craze surrounding that. Do you have any feelings towards that? Um, well, or that style, my or, or contention, my contention is that mixed martial arts is like anything else, a fascinating sport. You know, I, I don't separate it any more than I do from professional baseball or professional football or hockey or soccer. You know, I think it's a fascinating and exciting sport, but it is just that a sport. You know, these people uh, who train in mixed martial arts have to understand that they still operate within the realm of, of the world that has rules. You know, they tell you what you can do, they tell you what you can't do in a competition. And we all know when this is a reality-based combat, there are no rules, anything goes. And if you're not prepared for that, then I think that you'll operate within a false sense of reality. There's no way a mixed martial artist can survive a true street encounter. Because true street encounters are one, unpredictable. Two, could um, comprise of a mass attack, which means you're fighting more than one person. Um, there are uncontrolled variables because you don't know if the person's armed or unarmed. Uh, you don't know what the environment is in terms of whether or not you're fighting in the rain or fighting on a slippery ground or, you know, it's dark and you can't see the people attacking you and things of that nature. So a lot of mixed martial artists think that they're prepared for anything and they really aren't, you know, so I have to always remind myself to remind them that, you know, you're operating within a limited limited construct. So as long as you are competing within that construct, you're pretty successful at what you do. 
if we take you out of the construct, you're going to have a very difficult time at, this, at being functional, much more successful at, at uh, doing what it is you set out to do. So I think it's good for developing attributes. And I also think it's good for, you know, um, satisfying that competitive urge in all human beings. But to say that uh, it's the end-all, be-all, it's definitely not. And it's definitely not anything new either because mixed martial arts is something that's always been around. I think the better term would be modern martial arts because there's been mixed martial arts around since time immemorial. You know, you, know, you have cultures where people cross-train in different arts just because of the fact that if one nation was invading another nation, they would study their system or study their style of combat just to be able to combat it, you know, if nothing else. And what they liked, they kept, but they didn't like, they threw away. And they just kind of infused it or integrated it into what they were doing. And that's the real essence of what we call mixed martial arts, but that's been going on for centuries. It's nothing new. And you talked, you hit on something that I think a lot of people you know, far as out in popular culture may not know about, you talk, you spoke about African-based martial arts system. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Cause usually people always think, you know, of, uh, you know, the, the, the Asian influenced styles of martial arts. <clears throat> I, I'm curious about the African style. Yeah. Well, you know, um, what gets suppressed doesn't get talked about. So, it's very simple to understand that if Africa is the mother of civilization and that all things relative to high society and high civilization started in Africa, then why would we be so resistant to think that systems of combat didn't be brought out of Africa either? Because you have to have some system of of defense in order to protect that which you cherish. Yeah. People are raised in a society with functions and titles. You know, scholars are not the ones that are meant to protect the society. You know, the scribes are not the ones that are meant to protect the society. The healers are not the ones that are meant to protect the society. The teachers are not the ones that are meant to protect the society. So you have to have a warrior class or a military class of sorts, you know, to protect the society. And so since we say the word martial comes out of the word war, of course, we didn't identify that from the African contents. It was called the Montu arts. And those combat arts originated in the... Uh, kinetic civilizations of ancient times. You know, so even if you go to the what they call the Temple of Beni Hassan in Egypt, and you look on the walls and the frescoes of those of that temple, you will see depictions of things that are familiar with you today as what we call movements of martial arts, even mixed martial arts. But you see weaponry depictions, you see grappling depictions, you see punching depictions, you see throwing, you see kicking, you see everything, and those temples and those structures in Egypt are thousands of years old. So it begs the question, you know, it's almost like asking, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, it's very simple to figure out. If those temples are thousands of years old, those structures are thousands of years old, and you see those pictures on those walls, somebody put them there. And somebody had to have a vision of something that preceded what we now think of as ancient martial arts systems. So that means it would predate the so-called Asian martial arts. They predate the so-called Indian martial arts. They predate the so-called Western or European European martial arts, like fencing. It will predate a lot of different martial arts. So you have to ask yourself the question: So, where's the the origin? The origin is in Africa. And if you go back far enough and do the research, you'll find that. The thing that I find interesting is that you know people want to suppress that 
And if they identify with an African martial art right away, the only one that they think of is uh, Papaletta. And even in that context, they kind of limit the African reference to it. They call it a Brazilian martial art. Or they'll say it's an Afro-Brazilian martial art. No, it's an African martial art that's transplanted to Brazil. Because it started out in the area where we know as Angola and Mozambique. And it, this origin comes out of what they call the Ziba dance. And it was called by Ziputu or something like that, I believe it was an ancient name for it. But as it evolved because of the slaves being shackled and they didn't have freedom of movement, they had to learn to adapt their movement based upon the fact that their limbs are shackled. And that's where you have the, the, the development of the jingle and why it's so, the movements are so compact. The original origin of, of, of uh, Capoeira Angola which is, it was played low to the ground, and it was, the movements were very compact. Or when you get into other expressions of capoeira from the Brazilian side, then you have systems called capoeira Haitianal, you know, capoeira and those are more acrobatic in nature. And you have uh, two uh, two luminaries out of the outgrowth of capoeira, one by the name of uh, Master Vicente uh, Ashina, and you also had Master Bimba. Uh, forgive me, I forget his full name. But um, Master Bimba was credited with uh, modernizing Capoeira and creating what they call Capoeira Haitianal. Of course, uh, Master Kashina was the master of what we know as Capoeira Angola. I mean, he had several top students. Uh, one is still alive today in New York. His name is um, Master Young Um But he had two really standout students. One was they both were named John, John, but he separated as Jean Guange and Jean Piquenia. Uh, Jean Piquenia, I believe, is still in Brazil, but Jean Guange is still in New York. And uh, what I know, he, he's kind of failing in health now, but he's still around and he's still teaching. So getting back to the point of African martial arts, there are several different martial arts. There are martial arts systems in the West, there are martial arts systems in the Central Region, there are martial arts systems in the East and the North, you know, systems such as... Uh, Zulu MP or Zulu stick fighting. You know, LAM, which is a Western African grappling system, is uh, cl- almost close to what they call freestyle wrestling. You know, um, you have uh, you have Testa, which is an Eritrean martial art, which is part of what most people might identify as uh, the territory near uh, Ethiopia. Uh, you have uh, Mani, which is a system that comes out of my home country, Brazil, that a lot of people don't understand. It's an African martial art. You have uh, even in um, Trinidad and other areas, the island systems, they have their own martial arts. You have stuff like, um, uh, let's see, the name I'm thinking of. Uh, escapes me, but it's uh, a stick fighting system. Kalinda. Kalinda. Yeah, Kalinda, you have Keki uh, Shinni uh, stick fighting. There are tons of different systems. A lot of them are, are mostly weapon based or and or hand hand to hand combat based what I call engineer base. They're very complete because they cover everything from weapons to the ground to stand up. And a lot of people have not been exposed to prison. One, a lot of those systems are taught within the societies in Africa or different families or what they call what most people refer to pejoratively as tribes. I call them ethnic groups or, or families. And they're taught within that ethnic structure. So it's taught like from generation to generation to generation. And if you want to learn it, you would have to actually get permission to learn those arts. But it's becoming a little bit more mainstream now. So now people are starting to share more. But if you do the research, you know that people out here that are teaching, 
African martial arts such as uh, Tai Arikasel and Kalindi Iyi and Inwalimu, J.C. Mwanzo, myself. Uh, there are quite a few people out here now. Uh, this is on the Capo West. Uh, what about Balagun? Uh, Balagun, yeah. Uh, Balagun uh, Ochitade. Yes. Um, let's see. Uh, so Dennis Nelson, you know, who's a Papuera uh, practitioner. There are tons of people out here, but they, they don't get the spotlight like other folk because of the fact that, you know, institutional racism and all that's around the way to suppress the truth. The thing about a lie, if you tell it wrong enough, once you, the truth starts to grow wings, you know, you have to kind of recapture your story and recant a lot of stuff. So it's safer for you to go ahead and continue to suppress the truth and then let it come out. So for you to say that, uh, Africa, that Africa is not the birthplace of martial arts and Asia is, it's fine. But then if you do the research and you start digging, you find that the person that they touted as being the progenitor of the development of Asian martial arts he could be the guy that went to the Shaolin Temple and, and got the, the Shaolin monks in shape because they were out of shape and they were basically, you know, religious people that were very strong on the on the scholarly and mental side, but they were totally out of shape. And we're talking about Bodhidharma. You know, Bodhidharma, if you do the research, was of African descent whose family migrated into India. And he himself left India to go to China. So... He was of what they called the Javanian sector of the Indians. But his people, prior to him, that came from Africa, were from West Africa. But people don't want to research that, or better yet, they don't want to just bring it out. They'd much rather tell you that he was an Indian and walked across the continent and moved into China, you know, and started teaching the child and monks what they called the um, brain, the, the mouthwashing system, or what they call it internal martial arts system. And, uh, you know, like I said, you know, as long as you hold on to that lie, you know, nobody ever challenges it. So, well, yeah, well, who taught him? <laughs> you know, nobody ever asked that question. Who taught him? Yeah, it's and a... You <clears throat> ask that question, because now you got to go first. It's like saying, okay, who's your mother? Well, oh, my mother's name is so-and-so. Well, who, well, who's her mother? Well, her name is Donna Lanao. Well, who's your great-grandmother? Well, her name is Donna Lanao. You understand what I'm saying? Nobody wants to go past a certain point because they realize that now you have to expose the lie. Yeah, it's a lie. It's something that I, I was recently during some research on the library of Alexander, <clears throat> Alexandria and uh, Egypt itself and how a lot of the uh, scholars uh, would go to Africa, would go to Egypt to study and they would carry what yeah. they what they learned throughout the world. But just like what you just said, even in martial arts, this lie that uh, that, that that that's global and has been going on for centuries, people have taken credit for things that they learned from Africans. Right, exactly. And it's it's crazy. Even, even if you take your top scholars, yeah, from, from the Greek society, yes, all of them studied in the temples of Egypt. A lot of them didn't even finish because you know you had to study for forty years in order to truly be being a master teacher. That's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so some of them didn't even get past seven years. So yet still they're considered our greatest scholars and greatest uh, philosophers and, and and great thinkers. Yeah, it's 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 amazing, you know. It's it's funny because that you hit on that subject of just someone or a group that carries that lie 
for whatever reason. I mean, I can't, I can't, you know, I can speculate why, but it's, it's, you know, that's the first thing that struck. I was on your web page, and you know, I looked at the different styles, and I looked at some videos, and right off the bat, when it said African-based martial arts system, it made me want to dig deeper to find out more about that. I guess that's the benefit of living in today's day and age. We have so much information available to us that it's up to the individual to be responsible and dig a little deeper, like mm-hmm. you said, to see what the truth Absolutely. really is. Yeah. Absolutely. As you know what they say about us, you know, that place to hide things from black people is in a book because we don't like to read. Yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's true. The brothers don't like to research either, you know, but it's it's right there. You know, they're using their old, you know, bait and switch, uh, slide a hand trick of hiding something in plain sight. So let me ask you this: Do you do you incorporate, or or how do you incorporate uh, the knowledge, uh, the history uh, of martial arts into the physical side? I mean, when you have a student, do you also go mm-hmm. into that side of teaching, or is it just more physical? Yes, I no, I teach totally from the African perspective. No, everything they get is from the African perspective, from the terminology to the traditions and customs, to the um, pedagogical approach, in terms of my teaching approach, everything is from the African mindset, you know, so, you know, the African system of teaching is is totally different than the European mindset of teaching because, you know, we we are very open-minded and we allow you to explore, whereby with the Asian or the European mindset, everything is very regimented and linear and you, know, you don't question too much. You just kind of just move over and over and over until you kind of figure it out on your own. But uh, we even allow the room for you to play devil's advocate and say, well, what if that doesn't work? And so, so if, that if, I may, if I may interject, <clears throat> if I may interject, yes, Randall. we're in class. Bible teaches us a move, right? Mm-hmm. And, of course, <clears throat> we've been, most of these students right now have been for a hot second, so... We understand the concept. We understand the idea. So one of us, Baba, well, what do we do this? And Baba says, well, let me show you. <laughs> and, of course, we want to ask that question again <laughs> for various reasons. But the main reason is, oh, that doesn't work. You know what I'm saying? He said, well, this is why. You know what I'm saying? He said, oh, that's a good question. Right? Well, let me show you. <laughs> okay. I, I get the point, Baba. And we go back on to teaching. And he, he goes back on to teaching. We go back on to learning. Uh, Bob, uh, Mr. Floor, you were here? Yes, sir. So we allow for a lot of self-discovery, a lot of self-exploration, and um, a lot of self-examination. Because, again, the true function of a teacher is not to really teach you anything. It's just to lead you to the path of your own understanding. Because all the answers are already inside of you. I just know they act as a, a guide of sorts. They kind of like the path for you to be able to find your way. Yeah. No. I'm. I'm yeah. You. you There's a lot of things. <laughs> would, there was a lot of things he would teach us. He teaches a form, or he teaches the base of a form, and we'd go through it for so long. When I first started with Babakaji, the only thing I did for the first three months was footwork. That's all I did. I would come <laughs> to class, bow in, and he say, "Okay, random practice this footwork." While the other students. You know, went on with their regularly scheduled class for three months. That's all I did was footwork. That's a lot of footwork. And I got it down pat where when I was included into the 
to the other with the other classmates to train, I could sometimes best them simply because I understood the footwork. I grasped the idea of the footwork, and because I understood footwork, I could sometimes best my older brothers. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, it's it's it's. I'm done. It's funny. It's <laughs> funny when you think about it, especially like I said, coming from my position where I, I basically get my knowledge from the movies and Joe Rogan. That's where I usually get any. <laughs> yeah, any. any Joe no, Rogan, bless his heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I'm a big fan of of Joe Rogan. But the the when when I <clears throat> when I think about it, when I dig deep, or even having this conversation with you, it opens up all sorts of things that I've been. I've allowed to, you know, enter my mind. I've allowed other teachings to kind of sway my, my, you know, thought of what quote unquote martial arts is. You know, when I think of Bruce Lee and I think about, you know, the, the, how he's been depicted on, uh, you know, in, in mainstream media, the movies, television shows, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And how he, at least from, what I learned about Bruce Lee was he didn't want to stick to one style, so he incorporated a bunch of styles, uh, which is... That's what Jeet Kune Do is all about. Yes. Yeah. Take what is useful, discard what is not, and make it your own. And and that was... People are, you know, people to this day fight about what Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do is. The thing about Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do is, if he was still alive, it wouldn't be what it was when he died. Because he was always learning. Yeah. He was evolving. He was always incorporating new things. He was always exploring to see what works. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was an evolution that, uh, you know, of course, it, his, 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 I guess his style, you know, was halted, I guess, at the time of his death, but his students carried it on. But, you know, just what we see on how different is martial arts from what you what i see on television and what you know we see in the movies how much well you've already said it you know the 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 knowledge the uh physical aspect of it but uh do you guys just look at it sometimes and just kind of laugh well i look at it with a critical eye but i also look at it with the uh analytical eye yeah you know just to backtrack a little bit on what you were talking about prior no, Bruce Lee was an innovator. Yeah. But what people have to understand that Bruce Lee wasn't the only innovator. And I think that's the, the major injustice in the historical record in terms of what his contribution was. You know, there were people that were actually doing what Bruce Lee was doing way before him. You know, you have the people like uh, Professor Florendo um, Visitacion, who created a system called V-Jitsu. But it went through many evolutions, and his system incorporated lots of different systems. And... um you also had the the innovation of several masters uh, in Hawaii who created a system called Kaju Kendo. So there were five different masters from five different systems who all came together and kind of fused the art together into one. And that was prior to Bruce Lee, too. You know, not to mention that you had people like uh, Wally J, who kind of created his own jiu-jitsu system that was outside of the norm uh, called small circle jiu-jitsu. And he predated uh, Bruce Lee in terms of his methodology and philosophical approach to martial arts. So I'm saying not to take anything away from Bruce Lee, but he wasn't the only one. But yeah. we sometimes get wrapped up in the, 
the hero worship of uh, Bruce Lee to the standpoint of thinking that he was the only one that actually did something revolutionary. Uh, he kind of caught it through the ethers, as they say in African martial arts. You know, ideas are nothing but thoughts, and thoughts are nothing but energy. And that's why sometimes if you don't move on an idea, somebody else will, and be like, oh, man, they stole my idea. No, they didn't steal it. You didn't move on it. The idea just went to somebody else. Things like opportunities. Opportunities don't go away if they go to somebody else. Yeah. So from that metaphysical framework, particularly from the African perspective, we understand that one, movement is universal. Two, nobody has a monopoly on system or style because movement is movement. Unless we are structurally different, you're not going to have but so many ways to move. So when you start putting labels on it, then it becomes a segment of a reality or a segment of a totality. So going back to the point of looking at the theatrical side of martial arts, I see it as just what it is, entertainment, because I know you can't fight that way. You know, you'll get killed. Yeah. First of all, it's highly choreographed, just like a dance routine. Every movement down to the minute letter is carefully planned and choreographed. So with the right editing and the right camera angles and, you know, the right, you know, lighting and things of that nature and the right reaction time from the stunt people, everything looks realistic and it looks really impressive. But anybody in their right mind who has a background knows that that's not real and you can't fight like that. Now, when you move it to the competitive side, okay, these guys are in excellent condition, so they're highly conditioned athletes, so you can applaud their, their level of physical dexterity and prowess and, and ability to get in, in top shape. But even with that, there's limitations in that because if you take some variables out of the equation vis-a-vis a time limit, you know, a judge that's sitting there and controlling the action, um, a referee, things of that nature, you say, okay, well, now you're in uh, uncharted territory. You don't know how long this fight is going to last. You don't know how it's going to end up. You don't know who you're fighting. You don't know if you're fighting one person or three people. You don't know if somebody's going to stab you or shoot you. You don't know if the guy has any type of blunt instrument or if somebody's going to come up from, me, from behind or hit you. You know, you don't know any of those variables. So you got to know how to operate in now the, the realm of the unknown. From that context, you know, now you're talking about what we call reality-based fighting or what we call... Uh, survival of the fittest type of situations. You know, everybody's not trained for that, you know, and that's the ultimate reality in martial arts training, that, you know, you train for those unpredictable moments where you don't know what's going to happen. You don't have the control of all the circumstances behind Oh. We lose someone? I think we did. Hold on. Let me see if I can get it back. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's fascinating. The, uh, Miriam, I was, I was looking at some of the videos. Mm-hmm. On 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 the website mm-hmm. and some of the people that he he brought up like Dr. Moses Powell, it's as if when they train, every every step is it's calculated and he, they put up the videos. Well, if he does this, do this. If he does this, every it's an amazing it's an amazing. I mean, just if yeah, he, but it's then turned into like reflex. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like ingrained to the point where it's like you can be prepared for anything, and it's and, and it's like little. Points on their body that they would grab. Like there's uh, there's one video of of Doctor uh, Moses Powell where he grabs big dude. Big dude's big, and Moses Powell was a big man. Southern dude must be like six two, big huge dude. And he even said that he goes, "This is a big guy." So he just put his arm around him and grabbed the meat uh, underneath his uh, shoulder blade. Just grabbed it, and the dude couldn't do anything. He was restricted. Wow. He made him go up, made him go down, and it, I mean, it's just every single. Every is it is as if they could predict. You can predict the movement, 
And it's just like you said, instinct. Yeah, it becomes second nature. I mean, and it's really cool. I got him back. All right. Yeah. So as you were saying, Baba. Well, yeah, you know, I was just saying that you know you don't have control over all those variables. Yeah. Well, all you can do is learn to trust your instincts and your training. You know, and hope that uh, that you um, come out on top. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But at least if you're complete combat. As soon as you have the success is more in your favor than in the other person's favor. Yeah, and I was just uh, saying when we lost you for a second that I was going through and looking at some of the videos on your website, and I also Googled Dr. Moses Powell, and I was looking at some of the videos on YouTube. It's as if you, both of you, would it would just be raw instinct as you go through every movement with your students. If, if he does this, if this hand is lower, if this is up, and... You, Every part of the body is a point of attack. Uh, it, it's it's an amazing watch. I mean, you know, when I, I can just go and just pick out, you know, one or two videos, and and I'm just in awe of the way you're prepared for almost anything. Well, well it's thanks. You know, it, I have to always say that you know the the talent and the skill and the ability comes through me and not from me. So. I think as long as you remain mindful of being open to the instruction from the Most High, then you respond appropriately. And that's what I always teach my students. It's not about reacting. It's about responding. When you react, that's, that's called guessing. Yeah. When you respond, it's because based on feedback. And so what you do is you adjust to the information that's being given to you by your opponent. So you basically let him tell you how he wants to be beaten. Yeah. Is was there? Uh, we 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 talked before we got you on the phone. Uh, my background, uh, growing up in Flint, Michigan, there were a lot of um, my brothers and all his friends. There were a lot of kids in the inner city that would practice a street form of martial arts. They'd pick up books or whatever. You know, we didn't have the internet growing up, so it was like you know, circa, mm-hmm. circa nineteen eighty five, eighty six. Uh, it was more you know if you got a book if you went to the library you saw something on television and they would they would or someone trained at a, at the YMCA or something but there were a right. lot there was a, a big movement i remember in the 70s and 80s of inner city martial artists that would that that would i mean was, i don't know how it is now do you do you train a lot of youth from the inner city is martial arts popular within the youth today no, it's not. Uh, if anything else, I think they're more so now enamored with the whole Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu phenomenon, the MMA craze. But again, like I said, that's just a segment of the totality. Yeah. You know, basically, what they're learning is just the physical expression of the martial arts. Yeah. They're not learning all the other benefits that come along with it from the standpoint of goal achievement, you know, uh, outcome achievement, um, you know, time management, um, task-oriented uh, type activity, you know, learning to be complete in terms of the expression, uh, learning courtesy and, and discipline and self-respect and respect across the board. I think a lot of that is being missed, you know, with the physical focus on, you know, fighting, 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 fighting. Just be the best fighter you can. But at the end of the day, okay, if you're the best today, that doesn't mean you're going to be the best tomorrow or next year or five years from now. So there has to be something more there. You got to offer a little bit more substance other than just fighting. Because what happens when you get hurt and you can't fight anymore? Yeah. So now what do you do to get the benefit out of what you've been doing? 
So I think a lot of that gets lost in translation, as they say. Yeah, I always translation. I always thought that the idea, and again, like I said, I'm I'm no martial artist, but I always thought any any skill. Like I spent a lot of time in the gym and training. It's not so much to get strong for the physical side of it. Like if I get into a fight, I just want to not get into a fight. I want to know what to do right. so so I can not. Get, you know, I want to avoid it at all cost. And it seems like you hit it right on the head. So many people are in it for that thrill or that rush just to do combat. And I find that uh, counterproductive. Can I speak, Robert? Can I speak on that? Yes, sir. The things I've learned from this man. Now, I'm pretty rambunctious myself. But in a street situation, I avoid it. And that's one of the things I've been taught. In martial arts, is to be aware. That's the first thing, is to avoid a fight. Yeah. That's a good martial artist, to avoid it. Second is the things that this man has taught me. I realize what I can do to somebody. And something as trivial as, you just stepped on my shoe. You didn't bump me. <clears throat> and I can size up the situation immediately. You know, I can take this guy apart. And if I think that, I was like, no, that ain't right. Let it go. I let so much stuff go because I do know what I can do. And second, I saw the situation up. Do I want to go to jail? Do I want to get seriously hurt or worse over something trivial? Yeah, you're using your mind. I mean, my dad taught me that early on. You know, if we got into a street fight or something like that, he would always say, there's always someone tougher. You can't beat them all. You can't fight everyone. You have to outthink them. You have to use your brain. You have to use your mind. So I learned that. That was just basic stuff that you learned. Of course, if you win a fight, you don't want to go fight the world. You don't want to. You're not invincible. We're flesh and bone. And again, it sounds to me, and I I applaud this style. I applaud this teaching, this aspect of it. Being a father of a teenager, uh, the fact that you're using your mind first, and you guys are definitely. Uh, you know, you guys are definitely doing the right thing by, of course, you know, the physical side of it, but what can you do mentally? How can you manage your time? How can you be respectful? How can you um, uh, learn something and then be able to pass that on to the next generation? So I like, I actually love what I'm hearing. Well, it just makes good common sense. Because like I said, your body is your instrument, but beyond that, you know, to be complete as a, spiritual being having a human experience, you have to understand that you're the composite of both mind, body, and soul. So if you want to feed the body but you never feed the mind, then you're still incomplete. If you feed the mind and you don't feed the body, then you're incomplete. Yeah. If you feed the body and mind and you don't feed the soul, you're still incomplete. If the spirit has to be cultivated, the mind has to be cultivated, the body has to be cultivated. You know, any less than that, you're incomplete. It's almost like a, a math problem going wrong. So you have to kind of retrace your steps now to figure out what went wrong before you can collect the problem. And the retracing of steps means that you would have to abandon your overemphasis on one area and learn to distribute that focus in the other areas in order to balance yourself out. So I just think it's important because if nothing else, you know, there's always a great physical benefit to it. you. Get you can get in great shape with martial arts training. So let's say now you've achieved that goal. So now what 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 mountain are you going to conquer now? Oh, my God, this man has a million ways to get you in shape, too. I believe it. I believe it. I've, I mean, I've looked at the videos, and it's uh, everything looks very, very intense. 
And uh, his school, our school, my school is called New World Martial Arts. But the old students know the real name. We know what the acronym stands for. It stands for Nanji Institute of Martial Arts Fitness. Yeah. And martial, the Nanji Martial Arts Fitness Institute. Because mm-hmm. he, he stresses fitness also. So while we're going through our moves, he may develop a way to do it while not only are we learning moves, but we're also getting a hell of a workout. Yeah. This man, when we take tests, or sometimes in class, he okay, all right, 50 push-ups. All right, 50 sit-ups. Okay, jumper jacks, 100. All right, I need two laps. All right, now we're going to do 30 minutes of calisthenics. Then we come in and he say, okay, now the test begins. Mm. That's, uh, yeah, that's intense. How can people... How would someone find more information on the website or let's say you're in the, what, greater Atlanta area? Yes, I am. I'm in the, uh, what they call the East Atlanta area, just outside of downtown Atlanta. All right. And um, you do most of it, uh, most of your promotion via uh, web? What's the website? Uh, via the web and also YouTube and uh, Facebook. All right. And how do they find you? What, what's a, what's a website? Um on our website, which is uh, Um They can also reach me uh, by email at newworldfitness77 at yahoo.com. You can reach me by phone at two numbers, area code 770-621-2686, and at area code 404-567. Nine nine eight five, and we also will be launching in a couple of weeks uh, an online store called the Mafi Store, so you can order some uh, DVDs and other products that we'll have available for sale. And and let's say if someone's listening uh, in another state, do you recommend? How would someone you know find someone that teaches your your has your philosophy? Are there other outlets? Let's say in New York or LA. Well, what, what we're now in the process of doing now, we've been doing that for the last year. So I've been traveling around the country doing seminars. And um, what they can do is they can contact me and bring me in for a seminar, and um, I can actually expose them to the system. And I'm also looking to certify people in my system as well. So if a school wants to host me or if they want to become uh, an affiliate school under me and have me share the system with them under their curriculum, then that can be done too as well. But they contact me as far as uh, bringing me in for seminars and things of that nature. That way they can be evaluated and graded on a regular basis and um, can uh, achieve rank in the system. All right. Yeah, we, we've we've noted that, and I will uh, I will promote it on my uh, my page and within our podcast. But uh, I know I've taken up a lot of your a lot of your time, and I could keep going. Believe it. I mean, I could just keep talking because I'm 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 fascinated. No problem. No problem. I just want to make sure that I share before we end um, this. Some of the pioneers yes. of uh, the black martial arts uh, history that we definitely also should always pay homage to. You know, we have people like uh, Thomas the Puppet and George Cofield, uh, of course, Dr. Moses Powell, Old Sensei Ron Duncan Sr., um, Fred Hamilton, uh, Earl Bennett, uh, Ron Taganashi. Uh, Chaka Zulu, uh, Soke Papa Son Kenti, um, 
Rico? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah Grandmaster Rico Guy. Um, man, I just have so many people. You know, um, Isaac, Grandmaster Isaac Henley. The Black Dragon? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kiyoshi Lama and Cleef. Uh, well, just a lot of focus. <laughs> you know, uh, Hawk Frazier. Uh, Joe Hayes, um, of course, uh, see Joe Steve Mohammed. Um, there is so many. These are people that I actually watched. And they were when I seen as my elders that I came up under, and I actually got to watch in my formative years in martial arts. And they were just incredible people outside of just being phenomenal martial artists. And they put a heavy emphasis on community service and community activism and community development and they worked tirelessly with you. You know, it was all about raising up you. They did whatever they could from supporting after school programs to service projects to, you know, helping folks get into college and things of that nature and keeping them off the streets, you know, giving them alternative to playing basketball and football, baseball and saying, you know, why don't you try this? You know, maybe you might find this a little bit more interesting. You know what I'm saying? These people are pioneers whose names are largely not spoken as much as they should. I mean, even people like uh, you know, Grandmaster Kareem Abdullah, you know, uh, who was the black person who's credited as the first black man to create his own system of karate, which is called the KA system. And he's based out of Newark, New Jersey. He's still around today. He's close to 70 years old, and he's in phenomenal shape. Mm. Matter of fact, uh, he goes down to the martial arts history as having fought the first televised full-contact karate match underneath the umbrella of the, the thriller in Manila, the fight between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier in the Manila, Philippines. They won the undercard, and he fought, Joe, uh, he fought world heavyweight karate champion Jeff Smith. Mm. And it was an impressive showing. And uh, he went down in history in that belt, and uh, he gave him all he could want, gave him his money's worth, gave him all, run for his money. And so this man is like, you know, a uh, uh, phenomenon. He's still around. But, you know, people don't hear about these guys because nobody's trying to push them forward. You know, and that's why I say, again, if you go back to people like Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris and those guys, you know, they had the benefit of having had that media machine behind them to make them sound, you know, like they were the only ones that uh, yeah. wanted to get credit. But there are people out there that are even better than them that nobody knows about. Yeah, no, I I agree, and and the beauty of it, especially this day and age, every name that you listed, I will be googling and I will be looking up, and 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 that's what I, you know, the overall message of this interview is to do, you know, connect the dots, do the math, and do the homework, and it's right there in front of you. It's just like you said, it gets glazed over because of the glitz and the glam and the stars and stuff like that. Not to discredit yeah. anyone in celebrity. Uh, because, you know, I'm a big fan of Bruce Lee. I'm a big fan of Michael Jai White and others that are out there, Chuck Norris. But, uh, yeah, every name that you listed, I plan on Googling and looking up and uh, just filling my yeah, mind. And if you can get a hold of this, two books in particular, I don't know if they're still in print, but right now I know there's a new edition of one book that's getting ready to come out. I'm also being um, featured in that new edition called Black Heroes of the Martial Arts. As a matter of fact, since you mentioned Michael Jai White, he's going to be on the cover of the new edition that's coming out of the Black Heroes of the Martial Arts. But the other book that I would recommend is called, um, I forget the guy's first name, but the last name is Ramin. It's R-A-H-N-I-N-G. 
and it's a book called Men of Steel Discipline. You'll see uh, an account of many of our black pioneers in the martial arts in that book. And Tyler Cassell is also featured in that as well. There was also a PBS special about the black martial arts that was on right. 86 months ago. Mm-hmm. I think you can buy it, but you can definitely look it up. Yeah, I'm on it. I'm looking them up as we speak. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I'm going to... In fact, you can catch it on, you can find it on YouTube, too. Yeah, there's a there's a, a lot of stuff on YouTube that I find, and uh, uh, yeah, it'll it'll keep me up all night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I really appreciate you spending uh, more than uh, the time I I told Randall uh, we would do, and uh, uh, hopefully we can do it again, and uh, maybe I'll, well, I'll be happy to. Maybe I'll, I'll I'll see if we can contact Joe Rogan and we can have a sit down. <laughs> I like that how Emmy laughs. I like I like Joe. I listen to Joe's podcast all the time. Uh, but yeah. uh, no, I appreciate. Well, you know the unfortunate part about Joe's perspective on martial arts is that he knows nothing of this side of history. You know, so again, he's been brainwashed like a lot of people. Yeah, that, you know the graces of the innovators of mixed martial arts and all the other stuff in between. And you know, the greatest fighters in history were Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris. The Mullins, Bill Wallace, and all the other white guys. You know that they won't tell you about the fact that Steve Muhammad personally beat Joe Lewis and Bill Wallace and all those guys, and that you had a guy by the name of Victor Moore who beat them all. You know, matter of fact, he's the one that had the hand speed contest against Bruce Lee and beat him. Yeah. Nobody's gonna tell you that, and there's even people on the internet that are refuting that and trying to make it sound like you know this guy's just talking out the side of his neck. You know, but there were people that were there. One in particular, Steve Muhammad, who was right here in Atlanta. And he was there at that, at that uh, tournament. That was in California. It was at Ed Parker's Long Beach International Tournament. Now, in fact, I think it was at the one in 67. <laughs> so um, you can't refute an eyewitness account of people who were there and say, no, that did really happen. You, know, so, um, you have to understand, Bruce Lee was human just like everybody else, and if you don't believe it, go visit his grave. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. And and, and like I said, it's uh, that tournament was has been depicted time and time again uh in movies and uh yeah i I don't know any of the names that you just mentioned so i i've got i've got my homework to do so yeah yeah you know like i said yeah there's several sides to every story you know then you also have uh three versions of the truth (laughs) his story my story and the actual truth. Well, the beauty of somewhere along the line, you got to be able to sit through the, the BS and get to the truth. So. And the beauty of it is that you and others like you are still, you know, here, and we need to make sure that we have these conversations and that uh, we bring you out to do seminars to uh, to, to educate uh, people on uh, you know on, on on the real truth, but also to to help expand their mind so they know uh, right. exactly what's going on. I mean, knowledge is key. More- yeah, and even more importantly, you know, having people like you who chronicle this stuff and write this stuff down and, you know, you know, um, for lack of a better word, record it for posterity because one of my teachers told me, if you don't write yourself in the history, other people will write you out. Yep. That's... It'll be like you never even existed. Yeah. You know, so I think that's important. So I'm in firm agreement with you there, and I applaud your efforts on getting, exposing, you know, this kind of form so that we can share this information so it'll be accessible to everybody so everybody can get a full picture of what's out here and, and know the truth about the full origin of this um, industry we call martial arts and even the history of the development of it and, and know that, that we had a 
a big contribution to contribute to this. And matter of fact, uh, my book should be finished soon. I have a book that I'm working on called The, uh, the Secret Reveal, an introduction to the African influences and origins of the martial arts worldwide. So I'm showing the connection of where the African influences in martial arts is in every martial arts system on the planet. And starting with the origin of how it developed out of Africa and spread to other areas of the world. How you can see the African influence in the Indonesian martial arts, the Filipino martial arts, the Malaysian martial arts, the Thai arts, the Burmese arts, the Western European arts, the Japanese arts, you know, on and on and on and on and on. You know, because you can't escape from that. I tell people, if the best analogy I can give you is, okay, what kind of car do you got? They'll tell me any kind of model. I drive a Maybach. I drive, you know, a Celica. You know, I drive this. I drive that. I said, okay, well, each one is different, right? Yeah. So, but each one has certain variables or certain constants that are going to remain that no matter what you drive. You all have steering wheels, you all have rear view mirrors, you all have side mirrors, you all have uh, an engine, you all have an air conditioning system that is in there, you have a brake, you have an accelerator, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a certain commonality that's going to be there. There's a root that's going to be there that you can't get rid of. And that's what that African influence is. If you notice, when you watch black people and they learn that Asian martial art, you ever notice how they move differently? Yeah. Is that the way they express martial art is always different no matter who they learned it from. If they learned it from a black person or if they learned it from an Asian. You notice that they, they, the rhythm, their rhythm is different. Their timing is different. Their expression is different. Their physicality is different. And it kind of almost exponentially accentuates what it is that they've learned from their Asian instructors. And that's why a lot of the Asian instructors either revered their black students like uh, Korean uh, Grandmaster by the name of Kiwon Kim out of uh, Silver Spring, Maryland, revered his top student, who was a top competitor at the time, by the name of Michael Warren. What you were researching, Mike Warren. He was beating everybody in sight. He was Kiwon Kim's top student and made him a genius. But at the same time, you had others like that who the Korean instructors kind of downplayed. They just used him as prototypes to build their name up, but they didn't really give him all the credit that they would do. And only because they saw that their students were starting to surpass them in ability. It's going to be common because, you know, you know how we are as black people. We get into something we excel. You know, nobody ever thought that we would have a phenomenon called the Williams sisters in the 21st century, but hey, here we are. <laughs> but if you had thought back to the early part of the 20th century, but you know, black people would never talk tennis. Okay. Never thought that about golf either until Tiger Woods showed up. So now here he is, now they're threatened to say, well, you know, you got to bow down to a black man who's better than everybody else in golf. So they understand that if you give us a free playing field, that we're always going to excel and, and almost to the standpoint of surpassing you, which more times than not we do, because that's just our, our, it's in our DNA. Yeah. So it's just interesting to study that, that phenomenon, that dynamic, and just kind of record it for history, because otherwise people would say it never happened. Oh, it's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there, are, there are people that are dying for the president to uh, to give up uh, when his uh, term ends, so they can act like that's never existed. So, uh, oh, yeah. it's, and if you do the stats right now, you'll find that the country is, is probably in better shape now than it was at the beginning of Bush's first term, and yeah. that he's the only one that actually brought the economy back to a point where the dollar that is highest, gas is at its lowest. And all the economic indicators have risen now to a point where you're basically almost out of the recession. Not quite, but now you're almost out of it. 
And he inherited a big mess, but they're not going to say that. They're going to say all, everything except that. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's why we are all here and we're all participating in this conversation is to, you know, educate ourselves and to pass that knowledge on to others that uh, seek and uh, want to quench that thirst. So it's uh, it's important. And uh, I do uh, applaud everything that uh, you and, and Randall is uh, quite the philosopher on uh, on social media. So he's always got – he's uh, – <laughs> yeah, 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 no. Uh, Randall just he, you know, he puts stuff out. My, there. my old teacher, uh, legendary Doctor Morgan Powell, each one teach one. That's know. right. That's right. That's, That's what it's all about. So keep it up, keep doing it, and then we'll uh, we'll come back and uh, when your book's released, we'll revisit, have another conversation. How's that? Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Well, we appreciate you joining us today, and uh, Randall, we will right. catch up soon. We'll talk to you guys soon. All right. All right. Thank you for inviting me. It's been fun. I really enjoyed it. It was a pleasure. Thank you. I'll talk to you later, Cuz. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Yeah. Wow. Huh? I was. I didn't know this was happening today. No. I kept it under wraps, Miriam yeah. Tazi. I can't, you know, give out all the goods. 100 episodes. I got I to gotta bring some knowledge to the table. Yeah, that was a lot. Oh, man, I get, we could have kept going. I mean, we went... Uh, but he warmed our, up. He warmed up and had a lot to say. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it took me off guard too because Randall actually orchestrated the whole thing. It was just supposed. It was supposed to be just Randall and us, and we were just going to make light of a situation. But he he, he specifically said, uh, "You know, I got one better." Mm. You know what I mean? We can joke around. Thanks, Randall. Yeah, we can joke around, <laughs> but I can also give you some some knowledge. You know what I mean? I'd rather take the knowledge. You know, it's always, it's fun to. You I want to read his book. Yeah, Grandmaster. Baba Taji Nanji. So definitely go to his website and uh, look it up. Uh, it's www.babatajinanji, spelled B-A-B-A-T-A-J-I-N-A-N-J-I.com. I got that part right. <laughs> what are you laughing at me for, Mary? Taji? My eyes aren't what they used to be. <laughs> you had a hard time reading them. <laughs> I got a hard time reading them. <laughs> but I had the Grandmaster, and I didn't have to read it. He just, you know. Is there a way that we need to address a grandmaster? I feel like there should be cautiously. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) yeah. Because when you see these videos, oh, I mean, all just—it's a real deal. And again, to reiterate what was said, it's not so much for the brute force of it, not so much for the combat aspect of it. You don't just just because you can fight doesn't mean you have to fight, right? You know, you it's 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 a tool. It's all about and discipline. It is. I mean, he he hit it on the head. Time management, respect. I mean, these are things, and these are things that he even said are missing from the inner city, from people at large, because it's glorified in movies, it's glorified in uh, uh, on television, in sports, and mainstream. Where you know, you just uh, you just want to go out and just you punch, know, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's that doesn't get you anywhere. No, you, you know. It doesn't. It, it doesn't help. Well, yeah. I mean, you get a paycheck. You get a cool belt. You know, <laughs> title, endorsements, and stuff. But at the, at the end of the day, I mean, it's these guys. Uh, they're in it for the long haul. You know, it's it's, well, it's yeah. It's a forty study years for four, to life. Forty yeah. years. You know, yeah, you the study, kids don't have the patience for that anymore. That's why no, I they want think, now. Yeah, this is the that's me why generation. I don't think it's it, people do just focus on the fighting part because they don't want to give the dedication and the time for all the other stuff that's not as glamorous you know 
but um yeah, but there are some dedicated people still out there and you know you got to teach it's generation <laughs> selfie and it's <laughs> yeah. it's all about it's all about that so yeah. no big ups to uh Randall and and Mike J for calling in and uh even though Mike J sounded like he was talking in a tin can <laughs> god I got to we got to get some donations so we can uh, get him a new phone. I don't even know what that's going to sound like, but uh, yeah, I would, I would definitely invite uh, uh, him back to uh, have another conversation. Just because, I mean, it's just he hit on so many things, you know, so many different uh, different areas uh, uh, that uh, I just found fascinating. And, yeah. and you know, it's like I said, I'm no, I'm not a historian when it comes to martial arts outside of you know Rogan and Bruce Lee. It's like I know some of the basics. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you start digging and you do apply yourself, you, you know, you just Google it, right? Or- well, yeah, like the, just how he was touching base on the whole history of, of martial arts, how a lot of it, the original aspect of it or the origins of it is mis, I guess, mistaught. Um, it just goes to show like a lot of history, a lot of different, different history aspects mm. and different historical it gets glazed it's, over or better or it's just, better. you just never hear about the true history. It's just not no, talked it's, about. It's rewritten. Yeah. There's just a lot of lies. And then when you find out some of the truth, you're like, what? <laughs> it's completely not what I thought. Like, I'm just, I love historical documentaries and stuff like that. So when I'm finding out everything I learned in school was most of it was wrong. <laughs> like, oh, okay. I'm glad I have the internet now, you know, or I can do the research and actually find the truth because the truth really matters. It gives you the real history and it explains a lot. And that's what you get on American riddle people. You know, you get, you get the real deal, huh? It's evolution. hundred episodes. Evolution evolving. is the theme of this podcast, by the way. That's right. Uh, evolving. Uh, <laughs> your word of the day. That's right. That's right. Miriam Tazi in the house. 100 episodes young. And yeah, we're going to evolve. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, I threw it out there. We did the theme song. Big shout out to my brother, Trey Riddle. He's the one that uh, picked Rockbox. And then my cousin, my other first cousin, Devin Ray, picked out the closing song um, that I will play uh, uh, when, when we close out. So I told him I'd give him some shout outs and Randall Cooper for calling in. Of course, uh, Stone, a.k.a. Blair, a.k.a. Dutch, a.k.a. Mike J, <laughs> a.k.a. Fred for calling. <laughs> I lose my breath. So many names. <laughs> uh, for calling in and talking about uh, hip hop, rap music, his ministry, his teachings and how he sees things. He's always got something to say. Mm-hmm. I love him. And uh yeah, I mean, uh, 100 episodes, and we're gonna we're gonna keep evolving. You know, uh, hopefully, I'll evolve this uh, podcast, and we'll have intro music and outro music that is ours, and uh, I don't have to fish for you know copyright and stuff. But we'll, we'll get there. I'm trying to get better, people. I got a lot of stuff on my mind, a lot of heat on my back. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you for uh, tuning in, and definitely um, uh, go to Baba Taji. Uh, uh, Nanji's website and I will post it. I'll make sure I have a link on uh, the American Riddle Facebook page and also I'll include the website and links on the podcast. So when you go into the information part of it, it'll be there. And then you can quench your thirst of knowledge and do what, Miriam Tazi? Evolve, right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's all about evolving. That's right. So uh, as always, people, thanks for tuning in. Domino motherfucker. <laughs> Try to be best, cause you're only a man, and a man's got to learn to take it. Try to be best, cause you're only a man, and a man's got to learn to take it.
Are you there? 